Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson, joined by Brian Gottlieb. This week is going to be a weird one for a lot of reasons. I feel like we say that every week. But, yeah, why are uh, things so weird lately? Can't we just have a normal show? Yeah, I mean, I guess we had three years where we didn't like leave our houses. Right, right, right. And it turns out that complicates things when it comes to producing podcasts a little bit. When when we do finally leave, yes. Right, so yes. Uh, I'm I'm at a friend's for the week. Which is cool. I, I've made friends with their cats, which has just been glorious. Can't podcast and, without cats. It's very, very challenging. Yeah, it's not. Well, that's not going to happen. That's going to be consistent, right? So I'm on my friend setup, uh, who is not a person who podcasts professionally. So apologies for any sort of like audio stuff. And it doesn't make sense. He's a white dude. Why doesn't he have a podcast? I know. He's slacking. We'll have to bring that up at the next white dude meeting. Yeah. Definitely true. Okay, we'll we'll put that down in, in the, the notes meeting or whatever. Uh, and yeah, you're also out of town, quite far out of town. Uh, as far as you can possibly get out of town, I believe. I mean, maybe there's a spot on Earth that's farther from my home, but not many. Yeah, down in down in New Zealand for an extended period of time this go around. Yeah, and the other reason why things are weird is that, like, there are. Phyrexia all will be one previews, but not really. They're unofficial, but also at the same time, they're showing up on Scryfall, which I was kind of under the impression that they only posted a pre- official preview stuff. And that doesn't seem to be the case this go around. No, it, it doesn't. And I think what is happening here is that it, that was the policy for it. Like they only post things they can confirm as real, I believe. But the issue is that a lot of these uh, <laughs> these Phyrexian cards, they're just showing up in Dominaria booster packs. And like, look, I, I respect wanting to engage with these cards the way you see fit. Uh, that is very cool. But when things are on Scryfall, to me, that is where magic cards come from. There is not a proprietary platform that exists. I, I know there's Gatherer. But I'm still sticking to. There's not a proprietary platform. Together, it just doesn't work a lot of the time. Just so. garbage. Yeah, it's, it's not real. For 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 better, for the most part, I was going to say for better or worse, but for better, quite frankly, Scryfall to me is the official platform. So we're going to talk about the cards that are on Scryfall, and I know that's a bit of a departure from uh, previous policy. What we're going to do is is cut hard. We're going to let you know when we're talking about cards that haven't only shown up on. <laughs> the wizard's page, but I will tell you, we worked really hard to find a way to do this right. We searched through like the wizard's page for an official gallery, and we just couldn't find one. It's like an absolute nightmare. So this is this is the new state of the podcast. Scryfall is official. I'm sorry if you differ in your opinion, but we will make sure to respect that opinion and and find a way to let you and leave the show. I am still sympathetic to the point of view of. I only want to hear about things that are official. I get that. And I will mostly be fighting more on that side of things than not. Because say, say Scryfall walks this back or whatever, like obviously I'm on board with that. Like, great, cool. But if they continue to post things that maybe cannot be confirmed or whatever, it's like, I'm not, I'm not sure that I want to talk about that stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the sketchier and sketchier it gets, the less I want to do it for sure. But also I, I I want to be able to make content for the greater swath of people. Yes. But 
it, it yeah the lines are getting blurred is basically the problem and i i do think that it is a minority of folks who feel that way and i don't know man i just i feel like so many cards have have dropped i think there's like 68 or something where we we sort of have to like get talking about this stuff yeah know? it's either it's either that or we're gonna do a one week of previews which i don't i don't think that's enough time like either we make right. a four-hour show which isn't realistic or we skip over a bunch of stuff and that's the way we approach the brothers war with a really condensed preview season i would rather have this drip and yeah i, I think it's just time to really look at how we were doing things previously and how to actually make the best most interesting show for the most people uh, while still respecting people who want to engage differently. So like we said, we'll let you know when we move into stuff that is not uh, officially previewed. So here's the deal. There are four cards that appear to be officially previewed. And they're all Planeswalkers. So cool, exciting, high rarity stuff. And yeah, this is this is all stuff that has come from Wizards directly. Just Wizards tweets. And then after that, we're going to get into the the land of uh, fingernail picks as we've yeah, come to know that. Fingernail picks, which if you don't want to hear about the not official previewed stuff, that's when you can stop listening. And I'll, I'll make sure to point out when we get to that point, just so that there is a clear line. Yes. Good. Good. Cool. decision. All right. So we have, we have Kaito, Luca, Nahiri and Kaya. So starting with Kaito. Sound good. Sounds good. Official preview. 2UB, Legendary Planeswalker Kaito. Three starting loyalty. Whenever one or more creatures you control deal combat damage to a player, you may return one of them to its owner's hand. If you do, you may activate loyalty abilities of Kaito twice this turn rather than only once. Plus one. Up to one target creature can't attack or block until your next turn. Zero, draw a card. Minus two, create a 2-2 colorless drone artifact creature token with death touch. And when this creature leaves the battlefield, each opponent loses two and you gain two. So looks like the Planeswalkers are split between Rare and Mythic. And given that there's just like a lot of them in the set, I, you're, you're going to have to do that, right? You just can't have only Planeswalkers at Mythic or anything. For sure, for sure. So we're getting into the realm of like War of the Spark sort of Planeswalkers where you are seeing them at lower rarities. And once you have Planeswalkers showing up at Rare, they can't be like Jace the Mind Sculptor Teferi Hero of Dominaria, all sorts of power level. I think the the static ability is really frustrating at, at a lot of times, right? But like it does kind of make sense for the lower rarity walkers to have that sort of thing going on where it gives them a little bit of play to it without the loyalty abilities being like super powerful. So I think a lot of the rare ones, it's going to be like, eh, you know, it... It reads okay, but it's not just like leaping off the page like, oh, this is super powerful or whatever until you find like the right home for it, the right deck. Or when in the case of something like Narset or whatever, you realize how a play pattern can be problematic and hopefully it doesn't come to that. But I, I was just going to say like two cards stand out to me, Teferi Time Raveler, Narset, <laughs> Parter of Veils. You talk about like these being lower rarity certainly the the intention is lower impact yes and that did not happen last go around when we were messing with these lower rarity planeswalkers it turns out static abilities on planeswalkers are extremely extremely powerful now this one 
sort of reverts back to the card text itself. So maybe, maybe not as powerful as we saw in other spots, but I, I have to think like you find the right combination of creatures to feed into this ability and uh, things can get pretty spicy here. This, this card is exciting to me. Yeah. Four mana is a big ask, I think, but I, I feel like I've also said that about a lot of things where it just ended up, ended up not being that big of an ask, but yeah, I mean, like the plus one feeds into the static. The static allows you to do a little bit of something else. The minus two, uh, you know, death touch makes it so people feel like they're not really incentivized to block it because it's probably just going to trade up a lot of the time. And then when you are doing like the like using the token to feed the static, you're also draining them, which is cool. So this card synergizes really well with itself you know but you also really want to find ideally some cheaper things that you wouldn't mind bouncing to feed this thing yeah uh, so, yeah, so yeah i, I could definitely i could definitely see situations where you're, you're getting value out of the returning your own creatures to your hand sort of thing and then also just like doubling up on drawing a card making a two-two stuff like that so i could definitely see a world where this could get out of control but obviously it requires like a very specific sort of home no, a very cool callback to the ninjutsu ability, honestly. And, you know, it only takes one, maybe two, maybe two really cheap creatures with a little bit of value tacked on where if you start to leverage this ability on a reliable basis, like that that's an archetype to me. This is an archetype defining card. I, I don't know if the power level is quite there. I think it depends a lot on the support cards surrounding it. But if it gets good support cards, I am actually very excited to build decks around this card. I think it's a awesome awesome planeswalker plus little cybernetic raccoon on it so you know it gets bonus points for me always uh i, th I think the kind of obvious home for this is just jamming this in esper in standard and seeing what happens but yeah, i think that'll probably be fine but i i am more interested in something that can really push these synergies and just turn this card into a massive massive sort of value and threat simultaneously like it just offers so many things and even defense if you look at the up to one target creature can't attack you know where things are very in their sure. lane one big threat coming at you kind of does a really good job slowing it down yeah yeah so pretty interesting this is definitely one of those cards though where i'd like to see in like a leaner shell like if you can just build a straight blue black deck you have like mm -hmm. a little bit better mana maybe some cheaper creatures like creatures that aren't as powerful on rate as the things that you have in Esper, but work a little bit better with the whole like bouncing to your hand thing. That's, that's more of the home where I would want to see this sort of thing, but yeah, maybe it just slots into Esper and like, that's it. You just call it a day. Yeah. Magic today is often a dance between just like raw power and these cool, like synergy type things. And one of my complaints is that the raw power often wins out. Uh, yeah. So we'll have to see if that's the case with Kaido. All right. Next up, Luca at mythic. And one of the completed planeswalkers is two RG and H, where H is red or green Phyrexian. Legendary planeswalker Luca, five starting loyalty, completed. Uh, plus one, add RG, spend this mana only to cast creature spells or activate abilities of creatures. Minus one, create a three, three green Phyrexian beast creature token with toxic one. And minus four, this deals X damage divided as you choose among any number of target creatures and or planeswalkers, where X is the greatest power among creatures you control as you activated this ability. So not really a true ultimate, right? Because it has five starting loyalty and you can just right. immediately do the minus four. And I don't know. I think that's kind of cool. Is 
uh, I I could be wrong on this. Is this the first time we've seen this text as you activated this ability? Uh, so I was going to bring that up too because there there are cards that do things like that. Mm -hmm. Well, certainly I think this is the first time seeing it on like a planeswalker. Yeah, it's cool. It's like like this card if it doesn't have that clause has a pretty big flaw, right? Like it just you can get snowballed yeah. on really hard to removal. Yeah, yeah, because you, you minus it, they go for the throat, your big thing in response, and it would normally check on resolution. Correct. And yeah, this, this one does not. So it is a good way to ensure that the power level of this stays intact a little bit, but I guess it still kind of has the same problem where it's like if you're casting this, they just kill your thing in response, you know? But, but then you yes. you spend the loyalty somewhere else, right? You don't right. mine for it. Right, you don't get caught unawares. You get to just minus, make your 3-3 three, three green Phyrexian beast creature. Ha have we talked about Toxic? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. So uh, I, cause it, I think... I, I, I read some of the cards, uh, but those were the unofficially... Correct. So I, th I think we're going to have to wait to talk about Toxic if we are going to uh, go ahead and preserve... Well, no, not necessarily, sense. because... Is the mechanic spoiled? Well, let me go to the uh, the tweet. Okay. Because it says it, right? So presumably people are like, what the hell does this word mean? I don't know. <laughs> they know what it means because there's been cards circulating for literal months. Yeah, so like no one's actually asking. Right, no one's going to actually ask the question, correct? Yeah, you're right. No one's asking the question. Yep. Uh, it's just... It's a weird thing. Like we actually do this all the time in Flesh and Blood, where we uh, like preview a mechanic, but we don't give context for the mechanic, and it's fun. I think like people get to guess about it for a while. It spurs a lot of really interesting discussion, and I think like I think that's what we're trying to do here, but it does not work if everyone already knows what the mechanic is. Well, let me find a toxic card with reminder text. Oh no, I shouldn't. I shouldn't because we're still in the other part. Correct. We're, okay, we're never mind. We won't, we won't talk about it. We'll talk so about it in three, part two. We'll pretend like it's a three-three creature with some random ability that we don't understand because how could we? It hasn't been officially previewed. All right. So the completed planeswalkers have not been super exciting so far, but this one for four mana, you get like. You know, maybe like a Fury's worth of stuff, a lot of things, and it scales pretty well, assuming you're trying to do like bigger, more powerful things. So that's kind of cool. And for four mana planeswalker that can then take up to six and you play like a grizzly bear or something to help defend this thing, or you just make a three three right away, like mm -mm, mm -mm. can't take up to six. So if it's a four mana planeswalker, it's coming in with uh, three loyalty. So it goes to four. Two fewer loyalty. Correct. Right, okay. Correct. Mm. Okay, so yeah, I guess, oh, to do the alt right away, you have to pay full full price. Correct. Okay. Yeah, I was looking at it like it was one. Are, are all of them two? Yes. Okay. Yes, that is that is the completed mechanic. Okay. I didn't know if that was modal, like it changed between Planeswalkers. I'm glad uh, it doesn't. I, I, don't, I don't believe it does. Let me double I hope it doesn't. I hope it's the same thing. It doesn't change as far as I can tell. Good. Okay. So, all right. I need to reevaluate then. At five okay. mana, this seems pretty reasonable, like pretty in line with what you would expect, I guess. And then at four mana, it's like, okay, I guess if you can't do the minus four right away, you can take up to four or you can minus to two. Seems more likely if you're playing on four, you are going to be priced into minus into two a large percentage of the time. 
I was kind of thinking like you take up to four and then you have the minus four ready to go next turn if you want it. That's nice, but I think you have to have the immediate payoff for the plus one, right? Like you need to be able to use that to deploy a creature and really oh, get yeah, ahead yeah. on advantage. And, you know, you can try and build your deck that way and maybe you will be successful in doing so. It, again, this depends a lot on support and like what curves look like in gruel decks. Where I really want to play this card is like find a way to go from four to seven. Like that's yes. the most interesting, powerful application of this card to me. Because then not only are you going from four to seven, you are doing it with a Luka in play and offering more threat, be it three, three green Phyrexian beasts or, or whatever. And there are good sevens in this format. So there's also a lot of prototype creatures, specifically correct. green ones. Yeah. Yeah. That looked really good during preview season and then didn't really show up all that much. Although looking at uh, recent deck lists, there have been some mono green decks that have shown up. Cool. So in, in terms of like, oh, this minus four can get even bigger. Well, Lucas plus one plays into that with helping you play pay full price for the prototype things and then making the minus four pretty damn powerful. So uh, I'm I'm with you as far as using this to go like four to seven or whatever I'm in. Yeah, and I think if we find, you know, the right setup for that, then Luca can really push its power bonds pretty effectively as as just like a general source of value. I'm sort of low on it, but ultimately that I don't think that really matters. Like you can be low on a source of value if that source of value is bridging the gap from 4 to 7 for you. And it doesn't it doesn't really have to do too much more than that. It just provides a little bit extra to get you over that hump. And to really make like those kind of game plans start to compete with things. I mean, not that they aren't already. Like you said, they are making some inroads. But I, I think now you're really starting to push the power level uh, comparable to things like Esper that have really defined the format thus far. Yeah, it's interesting where this isn't drawing you a bunch of cards or killing a bunch of things. And this by itself, all it can do is make three threes, right? Mm -hmm. Like you need cards to play with the plus one you need a thing in play for the minus four so this alone isn't necessarily going to run away with the game immediately but it also just provides a lot of stuff that i can envision a mid-range deck wanting yep yeah so hard, seems hard like build around for sure but yeah, uh, yeah one that sure. can be paid off all right so let's do kaya next cool kaya intangible slayer rare this is maybe a bad order because I went rare mythic, rare mythic, but whatever. Uh, so rare. Three dub dub BB, uh, seven mana total, six starting loyalty. Static ability is just hexproof. Simple. Like it. Uh, plus two. Each opponent loses three life and you gain three life. Zero. You draw two cards. Then each opponent may scry one. Minus three. Exile target creature enchantment. If it wasn't an aura create a token that's a copy of it except it's a one one white spirit with flying in addition to its other types so again another planeswalker without a true real ultimate x proof pretty interesting and i don't know i kind of like this actually me too I, I think it's actually has potential to be sort of messed up and very frustrating to play against where a lot of the format is steeped in mid-range battles right now the numbers on this are just huge. And right. Can you imagine you, playing this on an empty board and you're like, you can't up. catch up. You can't catch up. I mean, like you're talking six point life swing immediately, eight loyalty. You can't play a removal spell. So 
you know, the simplest pattern, and this feels like old school magic in a lot of ways. It's like sweep your board, play Kaya. What are you doing? Like you're, you're in a tough spot in a lot of scenarios and, you know, even things that might be sort of these extra sources of value, or maybe you find the creature to go ahead and pressure and actually take Kaya down because there are sizable creatures in this format, just minus. And then you get the thing, like think of Titan of industry coming down yeah. to try and be the thing. that, that uh, Dude, I was already thinking of Titan of industry with Luca anyway. So yeah, exactly. Like there's, there's things pointing to Titan of industry. I mean, it is already a very playable card, but Luca pushing in that direction as well. And Kaya is just like, Man, this is a mid-range stopper. Like, for sure, very vulnerable to counter magic. So Esper being a part of things and having access to counter magic, I don't think it's like a problem or anything. But I do think if you are ever trying to slack on that angle of interaction, Kayak just beats the crap out of you. There are some edict-type effects that can deal with Kaya. Sure, sure. But they generally don't get played very often. And is this is this a weird kind of like comparison but it sort of reminds me of like Gideon Jura, at least no, the play think, pattern. Yeah, I think that's spot on. It's like you play Gideon and then you either just like plus two or minus on their own, only thing. And it's just, it's like so big and so hard to kill. And the game continues on for a few turns, but like every turn it feels like more and more hopeless. Yep. Right? Yeah, that, that's the Wrath pattern, right? Like the, yeah. the go-to pattern with Gideon was just four mana Wrath, five mana Gideon. And certainly it's moved up in cost here, but I think like the impact is even higher. Yeah, I mean this this has like direct hexproof and also just does more stuff than than Gideon did. You know, Gideon was still like pretty narrow. It was just very very good. But yeah, Planeswalker with a ton of loyalty when there's not really a great clean answer to it, and it doesn't even like end the game immediately. You know, it's not like Bolus or whatever. Uh, so you get to keep playing, and just every turn your opponent's like, yeah, this is getting like more and more hopeless. Mm-hmm. It's like kind of funny to me that. The, the cards themselves are not very similar, but it's like, I can totally see games playing out this way. Oh yeah, 100%. And, you know, if you're just like, I think of just being a pure aggro deck, like you're mono red, mono green, and having to play through this card. What what a nightmare. Yeah, I mean, it costs seven, so. For sure, for sure. But, you know, we, we cheat on that a lot, even in these colors, which are not particularly good at cheating. Yeah. They, we find simple. ways these days, so. Yeah. God, can you imagine having this in limited? No. <laughs> this is no, just a rare this, man yeah this has to be a nightmare to play against uh, Good God. i mean hard to cast and white black is not really like the most drafted limited archetype historically but uh, you open this yeah, you find a change way, real you know? fast yeah uh all right nahiri the unforgiving another completed planeswalker some mythic one r dub h five starting loyalty Plus one until your next turn up to one target creature attacks a player each combat if able. Plus one discard a card then draw a card. Zero exile target creature or equipment card with a mana value less than Nahiri's loyalty from your graveyard. Create a token that's a copy of it. That token gains haste exile at the beginning of the next ends up. This is my first time reading this card. This is a weird ass card. It, it doesn't immediately excite, right? Like it, it seems completely fine. Certainly, like three mana planeswalkers always outperform expectations, but nothing about these abilities is really like immediately exciting, uh, especially when you think of the context of like completed. So, playing this as three loyalty, three mana, and like plusing right away discard a card, draw a card, card neutral, 
only four loyalty at that point, haven't affected the board in any way, plus one, up to one target creature attacks a player each combat if able. Okay, I, I guess so, like, that is actually the defense ability. And I, I skipped over that the first time I read it. Attacks a player each combat if able. So you cannot attack Nahiri with the thing you plus one, I'm assuming. Oh, uh, okay. And I, I didn't yep. quite grasp that at first. So there is a defensive ability. That's neat. You're, you're right. This is a weird card. I, I don't want to, like, poo-poo this one quite yet. Uh, like I said, first read was underwhelming. But the more I sort of think through it, the more I'm like, well, maybe there's something here. Yeah, the, the plus one feeds the zero, but it's still tied to how much loyalty she has. Yeah, so you I still wonder, have to be very safe. Yeah, I wonder what the best sort of things to be doing with that are. Obviously, anything that makes value, right, is, is good. But I don't know. It's, uh, it is interesting, but I'm pretty sure you have to do a lot of work to figure out exactly what the hell you're supposed to be doing with this card yeah it, it seems hard for this card to ever pull you like e even thinking like optimal spots so obviously we have like a two mana white elvish visionary present so that sort of fits with like timing and curves and all that stuff and you know that seems good okay ish I, like i i don't know i just don't see an immediate way to pull all that far ahead I have a feeling that plus one may be far more disruptive than I'm, the the first plus one, the defensive one, might be mar more disruptive than I'm giving it credit for. Yeah, maybe. I mean, there's there's still the possibility that you just have like a blocker that can eat their attacker too. Of so. course, of course, yeah, for sure. I, I mean, like that is probably more of a late game thing, but you know, there already are some big Boros decks that we've seen floating around and do look to leverage these type of interactions. So, so maybe this is a natural fit in those spots. I don't know. Like all those, all those big white creature creatures do have really good triggers on them. So creating copies from the graveyard could actually get you enough value to pay out. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, that would be the thing that I would be looking at as far as how do I make this card work? How do I make this card actually be good? And it's trying to do stuff with the zero. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Like it's really hard for me to wrap my head around that zero persisting a bunch. Like if you're not being pressured uh, again, like empty board, sort of the dream state for planeswalkers, not something that they get to do all that often, but like you just play this for four immediately. Like, and I'm talking like super late game things, stabilize, play this for four, zero, zero, zero. Like you're just so, so far ahead at that point, but it feels like such a dream scenario to ever get to that point. Maybe, especially in Boros. Cause it's, really weird for Boros to just be like, oh yeah, we have played this game to a stalemate or whatever. Right. Like, I have been right, very right, good right. at answering your things and you have been very good at answering mine or whatever. I mean, I guess in standard, there are like the mono white mid range decks that can splash red for fable or something. And yep. maybe that is a thing that can slot there. And a lot of them already have spirited companion and things like that in their deck. So maybe trying so hard with these equipment cards, man. And they just are not coming through. Look, I think the fact that it's Nahiri, they're just like, ah, I might as well just add this on yeah, there, I guess. Maybe, maybe that's true. She she has like lava swords for hands now. It's weird. Yeah, where'd her arms go? I don't know. At first I was like, oh, is she like holding glowing swords or anything? It's like, nope, no, nope, those, are, those are just her arms now. Okay. I don't know. If I get arm swords from being a Phyrexian, I'm, I may be in. That's kind of a cool feature. It's a cool feature, but it's pretty narrow. You know what I mean? It's like, how do you how do you sleep? Like, what if you like accidentally go to put your hand in your pocket? Oh, or man. Something, you yeah, know? I'm, I'm also a, like an arm flailer when I sleep. Yeah. 
So I yeah. just like chop my head off as I'm flailing at night. That's not ideal. You're just like very emotive, expressive when you talk or whatever. Yeah. It's like, uh, you want to talk to me, you got to stand 10 feet back. I'm sorry. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Maybe. You got these arm swords. You understand. You do look like a badass though. So like. You do. Uh, yeah. Give and take. It's like an, an Edward Scissorhands kind of thing, right? Where oh, it's like, oh, yeah. this is actually more awkward than I thought. It's it funny. Be. There's actually a, a whole movie to teach me this lesson that these scissors are not really all they're cracked up to be. And I still yep. somehow missed it. Yep. Well, now you got something to do. If you ever get some some free time, just rewatch the movie. And... Right. Because obviously I didn't learn my lesson. Yep. Okay. That's it. Those are the official previews. See you, so, friends. Thanks for stopping by. But it's time you know, for you to go. 30 minutes. Not bad. But I guess we're just going to talk about the other stuff because I I really don't want to have to cram everything into one show. It me just neither. doesn't make sense to me. No, it, it felt so, so rushed the last few preview seasons. I, I want to get back to spacing it out over a few shows for sure. So uh, maybe we find just a, a lane to talk about with the rest of these cards, a, a color or something like that, something that excites us. And then uh, we can come back around next week and do this again. Yep. You know, people take like pictures of their deck list after mm-hmm. an event mm-hmm. and then occasionally that person gets roasted for like look at how bad your picture is or why is there so much glare like this is how you're supposed to actually take a picture yeah why did this person put their their fingers in like all the pictures could have just put the card down honestly and like maybe it, i mean i i don't know what the, the scenario is right it's like oh there just wasn't a table or the ground was all dirty or so i don't know yeah also like uh, Trim up your nails, friend. I mean, like they're they're a little long. I, I think if I'm going to pose <laughs> for an entire thing of uh, you know spoiler pictures, I want to make sure I have good nail health, catch a manicure beforehand, and you know really make these pictures shine. Maybe I don't know. It's just it's just kind of weird that there are just like fingers in all these pictures. But <laughs> it's very weird, it's all- especially when you look at them all like at the same time, and it's just the same finger creeping into every yeah. single picture. Yeah, so we know that this this was a one person thing. Yep. Uh, looks like that person is white. You know, uh, yep. so maybe we'll bring that up again at the next white dudes meeting. Right. Good thinking. Yeah. Trim trim your nails, I guess. I or say. maybe or maybe they'll address it on their podcast. That could also maybe. Yeah. I I say that as like my nails are mostly trimmed except for my, my was it the pointer finger like the mm-hmm. main finger. Hmm. Do you keep um, that one long on purpose? Are you a, a finger not, style guitarist or drug abuser? <laughs> I don't know how that factors into being a drug abuser, but I also don't want to know. Let's not talk okay. about that. We don't have to, but somebody's out there with me. I think it, it doesn't get super long. It's just like, I let it get to like medium length before like actually trimming it. But like the other ones all pretty regularly trim. Do you ever catch a, you ever catch a manicure? No, I, I wouldn't mind it, but it's just, I don't like frivolously spend money that much, Mm. you know? Mm. Yeah. I I actually, am not a big fan of the manicure process. Like I don't find it all that enjoyable to have it done. I, I don't mind it. It, It's fine, but not something I actually want to do. Whereas a pedicure, I actually find as a bit of a treat and uh, we'll get one of those every now and then. So I would, I would be down like, you know, if that was just like a thing that you could do for free on the regular, I would absolutely do that. Yeah. But it's also weird where it's like, I kind of like, I, I realize that you're paying someone, but it's like, I would feel bad for someone having to touch like my dirty. Yeah, I know? I know. I know. It, it is kind of like, I so you're know, saying like, oh, it's dynamic. really enjoyable. It's like, I would just be feeling bad. Yeah, I feel. Yeah. 
I don't know. I mean, maybe people enjoy it. There's people out there who like feet, right? There's a reason feet picks could demand such a premium. Maybe someone's dream is to just work with feet all day. Yeah, but presumably you're a little choosy about which feet you actually like. Sure. Uh, well, I mean, like, I will say too, like, it, I mean, I don't really want to do it, but like, it's not super gross. Like, the feet are cleaned ahead of time. You soak them in a nice warm bath before anyone works on them. So, like, I don't know if there, I, we, feel, if we have any like pedicurists out there, if we have any pedicurists out there who w- listen to our show and want to tell us about uh, your experience, we'll, we'll do that as a full show next week. We'll just have you on as a guest and we'll talk about pedicures as opposed to magic cards. Yeah, I'm curious, like, is it, is it bad? Like, do you, do you hate your job or, or is it like completely fine and like, there's nothing weird or gross about feet, and I'm just weird. You know, I, I'm, I know, I'm, I'm like, kind of curious to hear those answers. Yeah, yeah. So I, I do know a lot of masseuses who genuinely like love their job. They love like helping people, relieving their pain. Yeah. Uh, you know, making them relax. And to me, that's not a job I would love. But I, I have met many, many masseuses who are just like, this is what I love to do. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. I don't think I could do it, but that is awesome. Me and yeah, that that points it to it being about me. Yeah. Not about feet or like Probably. touching people or whatever. So anyway, we'll, we'll, you and I will go for a, a mani pedi next time we're in we're in the same area. Dude, I'm in. I'm in. Yeah. If I were in some sort of like career where it was required, you know, like say I was posting <laughs> preview pictures with my fingers in them all the time or right. something. Yeah, yeah. As, you know, as like, a profession. Yeah, like I, I would not, I would not mind. I'd be happy to do that stuff all the time. But as is, it's just like I don't know. I'm not gonna not going to do this just for the sake of doing it. Like that could be uh, some cat treats or something. Sure. Yeah, good way of looking at it. Anyway, uh, we got some lands. Dude, I love these lands so much. Sea Chrome Coast, Blackleaf Cliffs, Copperline Gorge, Razor Verge Thicket. We are missing Dark Slick Shores, which is probably not indicative of anything. I'm sure it's still here. This is not like yeah, that's my official previews or anything. But uh, it's also kind of weird because I think that that at one point got to be the most expensive one. Uh, so it would be funny. Uh, like, yeah. Oh. Well, I, I actually think like the vast majority of them, like I, I can remember a moment where I think Seachrome Coast was in that spot. I can remember Blackleaf Cliffs being in that spot as well for its role in modern. Oh, really? Uh, when was that? I, I don't know. It, de- it definitely happened like during the, the John Darrows. Yeah, it happened a lot after Marty also. Oh, yeah. Marty. Yeah. Good. Good timing on that. So uh, they've all kind of passed around. Even Copperline Gorge, I think, may have had its moment. Everything except Razor Verge Thicket, I feel like at some point, was the most valuable of these. But that's just because they're awesome lands. Like, they're really, really good, really fun to play, well-balanced. Uh, they reach back to basically every format. You know, they've gone as far back as Legacy from time to time, for yeah. sure. So uh, really, really happy to see this cycle being completed. And, you know, we expected it, but it's, it's still nice to see. So when... MH2 came out and there are all the Asmodex. That's when Dark Slick went up and it was, it topped out at like 50. Mm-hmm. It's, it's back down to like eight bucks. So yeah. It, it, it's, whatever. It's going to be hard for rares to hold a lot of value going forward. That is my prediction. That's fair. And I'm kind of curious about the other ones. I want to check the other one, even though this just doesn't matter because everything is about to sort of equalize, but just looking at the, the prices of things or scars of Mirrodin in general is. Oh, uh, uh, it's got to be a an absolute roller coaster. Yeah, Contagion Engine ten dollars. How many of those did you sell for bulk, Brian? Probably none because you're too lazy. Well, yeah, I, I probably have a, a case full of them somewhere. Black Cliffs 
17, Seacrum Coast 12. I don't know if these prices have adjusted with like, you know, these, these being previewed. Yeah. 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 Asceticism is up there. Uh, it has been for a while, honestly, because the commander, yeah. Elspeth Terrell, like the 10th most expensive card in the set at like 10 bucks. I got to have some of those floating around somewhere. Forge Masters, eight bucks. Inexorable Tide. Yeah. Yeah, there, dude, there's a lot a of like proliferating action. Yeah, there's a lot of like five dollar and up cards, man. Like this, this set actually held up pretty well. Like Sanguinate at Uncommon is six fifty. Yeah, there. I I think it's like Commander Bangers for sure. Oh yeah, right? yeah. I mean, the set was not great for like standard or anything, but for commanders, it's like oh yeah, just like all of these things, like Nim Death Mantle, Spencer's Journal. Let's yeah, go. yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, dude, these these lands are. Very, very good. I love them a lot. At one point, it was it was kind of discussed that maybe they're too powerful for standard. Nah. Maybe we can't reprint them. Now it's nah. just like, come on. They're fine. I, I just I just don't think, like, if you find a land that isn't broken, they're almost always going to be okay for standard. And, like, I don't know, like, fetch lands were okay for standard. They were very strong, and, like, they have their same shitty play patterns, but, like... Especially in a set with Delve. Yeah, yeah, but like they. Why'd we do that? Well, I don't know, but there's there's still just like a foundation, right? Like it's more, it's always going to be more about what you're building around it when the card pool is limited. Yeah. It, also, unless you're talking specifically about like vivid lands, reflecting pool, and filter lands, or whatever, it's just like, does the mana still actually matter? Like, is there a cost to? playing the third color or fourth color or fifth color or whatever, you know, at the end of the day, these are just two color lands. Yep. Exactly. So, right. Uh, they're also incentivizing like pretty good things as far as like, aggression. Go, yeah. These go really well in proactive, aggressive decks. Yep. And uh, I think if anything, those should get fed more than, you know, cloud thresher cryptic command decks. So right. yeah. And in, in the older formats, they tend to power up combo decks for the most part. But I, th- I think in new formats where the power level is reduced, they do exactly what you want them to do. They incentivize attacking. Yeah, so whatever. Uh, there are also four other rare lands that all... I have not read these, but they all have a subtype of sphere. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to just start reading these. Maybe we'll get to that. Excited. Tell me about your spheres. All right. Uh, number one is Mirex. Uh, taps to add colorless. You can tap to add one mana of any color. Oh, no, we were just talking about this. Activate only if Mirex entered the battlefield this turn. Okay, so not quite vivid land reflecting pool. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, three tap, create a 1-1 one, one colorless Phyrexian Might artifact creature token with Toxic 1, and this creature can't block. Ooh, we get to talk about Toxic now. Uh, toxic is players dealt combat damage by it also get a poison counter. Yeah, for toxic one, and if it's toxic two, you would get two poison counters and so okay. on and so forth. So, so also dealing normal combat damage. Correct. So this dude, this was so frustrating in yes. Stars Limited. Yes. Where a lot of the BG stuff, like they didn't all have infect, right? Mm-hmm. But a lot of it did. So it meant that drafting like black blue was just like okay i guess uh i have like some infect stuff and if you if you get a lot of it then your blue cards that just like deal damage just like your snapping drakes or whatever it's like well i can't really play this yep yeah this is a a very smart design fix to what was previously a problem when trying to introduce poison counters because i do think like poison counters 
I like them. I, I know they're a divisive mechanic, but I generally uh, like alt win conditions. And they're a little tracking heavy, but on the whole, I'm, I'm a pretty big fan of the mechanic. And it, with the one exception that you're mentioning, where it's really, really hard to make cohesive limited formats around it. And I, I was okay with Scars of... Uh, Scars of Mirrodin Limited. I thought it was like a, a solid format, but it was it was never great. It certainly had these tensions. Um, I just didn't draft black green ever. Yeah, yeah, because of that reason, it, you just had to like really gin it. You had to get all in one lane, otherwise your deck's focus was so so bad. So this is a really really clean solution to that problem. And beyond that, I think like Mirix is, you know, we're talking about aggressive decks. If if there is an aggressive toxic deck that just needs to be able to play a one drop but after that mana requirements scale down a little bit and you really want this source of repetitive damage because this does become quite a bit more threatening with toxic added on when you're already challenging on that axis uh you know this this seems standard powerful to me i i could see this absolutely being something that we build around in the future and i love adding the creature can't block to it to make it so this isn't like a not a defensive tool yeah exactly so similarly to, you know, Razor Verge Thicket or whatever, it's like this is just promoting aggressive stuff, not prolong the game inevitability stuff. Mm-hmm. All great. Uh, the monumental facade land sphere enters the battlefield with two oil counters on it. Tap, add colorless, tap, remove an oil counter from this. Put an oil counter on target artifact or creature you control. Activate only as a sorcery. What the hell can we do with oil counters? Uh, I've seen a creature with oil counters. I don't remember which one it was. Uh, but how about we reserve judgment on this one when we come back around to some oil counter cards? We can we can say if this starts to excite us. Because um, obviously a very large cost here. Assuming there's no like, you know, sphere tutoring options or payoffs for having a bunch of spheres, which would be which would be cool, honestly. Like you see all these colorless lands interacting with each other. They have ways to go ahead and make colored mana in a lot of instances. So so maybe there is a sphere deck. That would be very, very cool to explore. Neutron, Tron is back. Collect all the spheres. All right. The Mic of Synth Gardens, land sphere, tap, add colorless. One tap, add one mana of any color. X tap. This becomes a copy of target non-token artifact you control with mana value X man. It really uh, upgraded Shimmering Grotto. Yeah, uh, this this effect very interesting in terms of combo potential. I think like having two of a certain artifact in play can often be the thing that unlocks whatever it is you're trying to do. So immediately, I'm like, well, what's the best cheap artifact I can copy that goes ahead and just completely unlocks my deck? Um, you know. Can you benefit from something like Underworld Cookbook? Or like I I think there are multiple, multiple options that could really, really see Microsynth Gardens not only be an important part of Standard, but push back to older formats as well. Any kind of deck that doesn't have heavy, heavy colored mana requirements, not to say this can't help fix in in a pinch, but certainly you don't want to rely on it. But as using a combo artifact as its end game, I think has to at least give Microsynth Gardens a look. Yeah, this is interesting because it's not it's not like till end of turn or anything either. Yeah, so, it's just there. Yeah, it just becomes a copy of the thing and then and then that's it. So hopefully you can do something with it. You didn't need to land anymore. But really weird, really interesting. I do kind of like that if you know you you are some sort of 
proactive deck, you're doing some stuff with artifacts that at some point you're just like, well, I don't need land number eight anymore. I can just cash this in for something else or whatever. I think that that's very cool. How about a blast from the past? Phyrexian Dreadnought. Can you just pop this into a 12-12? It's instant speed, which is actually kind of weird to me that you can do this at instant speed. Yeah, no, that's true. Normally you would like Dreadnought Stifle, right? Correct. So this is like Dreadnought one tap, so it requires three mana. Three. But once the Dreadnought resolves, this is uncounterable. Yeah. So then they just have to like counter every Dreadnought you play, basically. Yeah, I, I, I don't think yeah. it's like going to reshape Legacy or anything. No, but no, like it, it's interesting. It's interesting. It's a thing, right? Yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah, yeah I, th- I think this card is very potentially powerful. It's actually like extremely exciting across multiple formats. I was thinking about Dreadnought type of stuff in relation to Nahiri, where maybe it has a low actual mana value. Yep. But there are some some additional costs that you must pay to cast it or whatever. Sure. I, yeah. I couldn't come up with anything. It's like the reverse scornful egotist, basically. Like, what is something with a cheap CMC that requires you to like pay yeah has other hoops I, those cards exist for sure it would, it would take some some scryfall searches but there's there's options and i think those cards exist among artifacts as well so yeah we'll see uh the seed core last one land sphere tap add c tap add one man of any color spend this mana only to cast phyrexian creature spells and corrupted tap Target one one creature gets plus two plus one until end of turn. Activate only if an opponent has three or more poison counters. And yeah, so this plus Mirix starting to see the backbone of uh, Phyrexian toxic beatdown deck potentially. Yeah, and I like th- I like the fact that it's like target one one gets plus two plus one, where it's just like Pendlehaven. Yeah, Pendlehaven was, call out. Yeah, such an iconic part of. Uh, the infect decks in modern for so long. And this is like plus two plus one instead of plus one plus two, which is maybe arguably better for you. I think plus one plus two did a lot of stuff for making them be like better blockers or like getting mm-hmm. out of mm-hmm. random burn spell range or whatever. But you really wanted like the extra power a lot of the time, you know, for sure, for sure. And a little, little different here with toxic, obviously you don't scale off power in terms of poison counters, but I, my vision for this archetype will be that it's presenting probably both as a threat, your, your life total and your poison counters should be under constant uh, barrage. And that would be the ideal version of this archetype to me. Yeah. I like that too. I So you mentioned that poison in general is like a little tracking heavy. And I don't really think so because it's just like another life total, right? And the number doesn't necessarily go up and down. It just... that That is its saving grace for sure. Right. It only goes up. I agree with you. So I don't think it's that bad, and especially since normally then you're not really caring about the life total so much or like if if you're getting attacked by a poison deck, you don't care about tracking your life total as much, right? It doesn't really matter. But in the, the case that you're talking about where it's like, yeah, I want to be doing like normal damage and poison. It's like, okay, I can see how now this is getting sort of fun, but it's fine. I, I think that that's completely reasonable as a small ask. It is less offensive to me than something just like pristine talisman. Yep. I yep, I agree. All right, going to do some gold cards? Yeah, let's talk about a few gold cards. We got a little bit of time left. May as well, uh, you know, enjoy our time here in Phyrexia. Explore a little bit. Yeah, you want to just go top down? Sure. Right, this one's a little blurry, but... Uh, Mel- no finger. Or... No finger, though, so real no upside finger. there. That, that's why it's blurry. I will say that the finger picks... Much sharper. 
re- resolution's pretty good. Yeah. Which is how you can see the figure now very clearly. <laughs> anyway, Mel Caterer, Purity Overseer, 1W, uh, three mana total, legendary creature, Phyrexian Elephant Wizard. Holy shit. 1-1. One, one. When this enters the battlefield, create a 3-3 three, three colorless Phyrexian Golem artifact creature token. At the beginning of your end step, if three or more artifacts entered the battlefield under your control this turn, create a 3-3 three, three colorless Phyrexian Golem artifact creature token. Interesting. Also, badass creature type. Yeah, for sure. I didn't think that would be one we would get this set, but here we are. No, that's that's why I'm kind of laughing. It's like, you, you know, you wake up in the morning and this is just not words that you expected to say. Yeah. Right? It's like, oh man, life is just full of little surprises. Uh, this card does not immediately jump off the page to me as like super powerful. It, you know, it's, it's fine. Like I, you get four power for toughness for your three mana investment with some upside. The upside well, is like blade splicer was fine. This is a legendary creature. Granted blade splicer three, three had uh, yep. first strike a lot of the time. There was like rest of angels, stuff like that. But it's like, you find ways to abuse it. And like legendary is already carrying uh, a little bit in standard with like the land and whatnot. Yeah, I, I think the the blade splicer like so much of the value there was actually in the first strike, and that sort of gets overlooked. First strike very powerful, unassuming ability in terms of. Uh, I think sizing know. was a lot lower too. So like three three that first strike was kind of badass. Yep, that is true. Three three vanilla less exciting. Yeah, like at the beginning of your end step, if three or more artifacts entered the battlefield under your control this turn, how are we doing that? Like it's a good question. Like Power stone tokens and stuff, and like this, this makes one. Yeah, it feels like you're supposed to blink this card, right? Like Urian would do this in its sleep and, and go ahead and get you your golem. Uh, I I do think it's harder these days. I I'm not I'm not rushing to build a Malkator deck, but if there are enough blink payoffs uh, or a archetype that's very focused on just like cheap artifacts, maybe we can get there. We do have like our prototypes and things like that. So, you know, maybe that's worth exploring. Yeah, but a lot of it is like three mana, make yeah, a thing. Expensive. Yeah. It's not put three things into play, right? Some stuff. What are we what are we doing? It's tough. Uh there there are like some of the prototype things that make copies of themselves. So that is a way Ooh. to cheat, potentially. Okay. I had a thought. This is out there, but the Rakdos Sacrifice decks are pretty good at this, actually. Like Oni Cult Anvil, yeah, Synthesizer, etc. Yeah, our our mana requirements are getting off the chain at that point. But you're, you're right; that is a very effective way to go ahead and get your artifacts per per turn. That's just the first place my brain went. I wonder if there are other things along those lines. I don't know. Maybe maybe it is just like oh, if you like live the dream. You know, yep. you're not actually supposed to little do upside. Yeah. Anyway, whatever. Uh, next up, Vencer corpse puppet. Look what they did to my boy. Poor uh, Vencer. UB one, three legendary creature, Phyrexian zombie wizard, lifelink toxic one. Whenever you proliferate, choose one. If you don't control a creature named the hollow Sentinel, create the hollow Sentinel, a legendary three, three colorless Phyrexian golem artifact creature token. Uh, or target artifact creature you control gains flying and lifelink until turn. Two mana, one three, lifelink, toxic one, legendary creature again. A lot of those, turns out. Yeah, how many In every set yeah, how many until ways the end are we gonna time? have to proliferate? That that's the question. I, I really don't have a strong opinion about this card yet. Sort of it 
short of it looking very badass, um, I think how much pro proliferation at constructed power levels is around is a big part of this card's puzzle. It could be it's just a plant, the limited environment, like a like a bomb rare you can get that really turns your proliferate deck on. Yeah, I was so, gonna say it's a rare though. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to make any hard reads on this card yet. I think it's just too dependent on everything around it. And it's not even like, oh, if you are a blue-black toxic proliferate deck, this really enables you because it's just making like 3-3 three, three golems and giving your artifacts flying in lifelink. Like, is that a huge limited payoff? I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what the shape of this deck is right now. There's just too many unanswered questions for this one, I think. Yeah. Wild. I don't know. I Two mana... One three lifelink in blue black that like does some other stuff. Like I've played similar cards and yep. similar cards that were much worse yep. in constructed. So who knows for for like actual constructed, you don't need a ton of ways to proliferate, right? It's like maybe maybe this two drop brings along a three three or like a fairly consistent three three if you have this thing in play. At which point you just get to you know like sacrifice that thing or trade it up or just block with it forever you know like that that seems good enough to me yeah all right another rare kethic crucible goliath 2 br 44 legendary creature phyrexian beast beginning of your end step you may sacrifice another creature if you do reveal cards from the top of your library and to reveal a non-legendary creature card with lesser mana value put it onto the battlefield and put the rest of rest on the bottom of your library in random order this is wow, like, good this times is, for Phyrexian Dreadnought, just having a blast, getting cheated into play all over the place. Well, you put yeah, it on yeah. the I, I know. This, this one's for, not going to work out in our favor. Yeah, this one, this one seems fair. Four mana, four, four, no riders, and then you're uh, like polymorphing down, and it doesn't work well with tokens. Yeah, so it's hard to cheat in polymorph yeah. in an effective way. I think like... Again, not jumping off the page in terms of power level, potentially some glue for a sacrifice archetype in limited uh, or maybe constructed, maybe expands a little bit. I, Like you said, I think this not interacting with tokens all that well is really where this card fails and probably for the best. Like if it interacted with tokens, yeah. it would just be cracked. So uh, good, good safety valve for sure. I mean, worth noting that if the token is a copy, then it works because it still has the, still has the cost. Yeah. For but sure. if if you're just making, you know, spawns or Phyrexian mites or whatever, you're not really going to get super far with this. Wonder if there's, again, like big mana value, but maybe you cheated into play or something or fairly big mana value, but you get your value from it. Or just you know? a bunch of like, like purity overseers, right? Where you the body that pure purity overseer is bringing is not actually itself. So you get to keep your three, three, you sack this three crop three cost, and then you get a two cost from your deck. So, yeah. you know, obviously we're tuning too many colors at this point, but if it's present in red, black, we could get there. Yep. And it, you go until you get a non legendary card. So it means that you're not going to hit like another Kethic, which is kind of good, right? Mm -hmm. Cause that would be a feel bad. But then it's like, well, maybe you just make like, legendary creatures and then you only have a certain thing yeah like one, one thing two mana yeah. that you're polymorphing into or whatever so, i don't know uh, what that thing is but yeah I, I don't know either and it also sounds like a very weird setup you know it's yeah, like, what, yeah. is, what is some like fairly low cost non-legendary creature that i like really want to keep putting into play or whatever you think you would just cast it right like that <laughs> would be way easier 
again, unless it was like the thing where it's like it's an additional cost to cast this, blah blah blah. Yeah. But a lot of a lot of just made up cards at this point. Ooh, okay. Now we're into oil counterland. You ready? Yes. yes. Uh Miglo's Maze Crusher. One RG four four legendary creature Phyrexian Beast. Three mana four four. All right. ETBs with five oil counters on it. One, remove an oil counter from it. It gains vigilance and menace until end of turn. Two, remove two oil counters. It gets plus two plus two until end of turn. Three, remove three oil counters from this. Destroy target artifact or enchantment. This this card's a badass. Like yeah, three mana four mat four with upside and built in evasion as well. Uh, as well as playing the defensive game when it gets that evasion. And I it's, it's instant speed too. None of yeah. this like sorcery nonsense with the pump. So yeah, like yeah, yeah. You just play this on three turn four. They're not blocking. No, I, I don't think they are, and I think it's a very good persistent source of damage. It, it's one knock against it is that it's legendary. Like in these style of decks, you know, you want to be very consistent, very on sure. curve. Uh, so that certainly slows down the quality of this card a little bit. But I, I still think it's just good on its face. These oil counters are all upside, and I was not expecting the oil counters to be aggressive leading. Like things like that mechanic aren't usually, but here we see them being put to that use. So I wonder if that's going to be a recurring theme with them. Yeah, you're used to dealing with like the charge counter type of nonsense yeah, yeah. where it's like, oh, just, you know, gain a life or something. Something like very small. But like, yeah, this this on like a, a beatdown card is pretty nice. I will say, three mana creature, ETBs doesn't immediately impact the battlefield. Does have some. It could. At, at six, it does, right? Like you can immediately yeah, destroy an I'm, artifact or enchantment. Yes, I'm, I'm just saying, like, uh, at, at three mana, at you play three. it, it immediately gets removed. You. You don't gain anything from that, which historically has been a problem. Uh, Things like Tireless Tracker have gotten around that because, like you mentioned, you can play them like a little bit later, still get some value out of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Three is on the border where I think that is just almost acceptable. Like if you find the right combination of abilities, you can take that risk. Four is where it just becomes completely out of the question. Yes. So that said, four toughness does get around some removal options, does have impact on the battlefield in that it can block reasonably well. So some, sometimes like a three mana thing that's just like really big is good enough, Mm -hmm. but this doesn't seem quite good enough to me, but it is a good application for oil counters and all that stuff. And then maybe, I mean, there, there are a lot of legendary things and there is the land that makes the legendary stuff pretty easy. And I guess like, these are all Phyrexian things too. And there was like the thing that was just like, add a man of any color for a Phyrexian, right? So very true. Maybe you just end up playing like multicolored, whatever, whatever's and everything ends up being fine, but we will see. Yeah. Who knows? All right. Malira, the living cure. Do you like Malira or Malira? I would go Malira, but I'm, I'm not, me too. Like, I'm not fixed to that. Me too. It kind of weirded me out when I think it was Malira for a long time, and then someone just popped up with Malira, and I was like, mm. "What the hell?" And then it's it like something weird. I would do. I've, I've probably said that in the past, honestly. So mm-hmm. I might have yelled at you. All right, G Dub three three, legendary creature, human scout. If you would get one or more poison counters, instead you get one poison counter, and you can't get additional poison counters this turn. Exile this. Choose another target creature or artifact. When it's put into a graveyard this turn, return that card to the battlefield under its owner's control. That. That's in a combo piece. This seems like just another combo piece. This is like like Project X. Like we've yeah. we've done this before. This is very capable of com- 
pleading loops and and getting very silly. Project X, I think you sacrificed though, not exile, if I recall correctly. Oh yeah, exile. Okay, yeah. good call. Okay, not a loop, not a loop. Okay, so a little bit more safety valve there. I mean, still a good, powerful effect, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think people just generally like that ability. Also, it's it's not like give the thing indestructible or anything. So if they are wrathing and you have a value creature, like you get the ETB back, which is cool too. So, and this is just like a watch wolf, man. Watch wolf, two mana, human scout. What's the, the card that I thought was fake? Joda? Yes. Yeah, like the, the five color Joda deck. Like this card's awesome for that deck. Uh, don't don't worry about me. I'm just over here checking the text on Phyrexian on life, seeing exactly how it works. And uh, good news, Gerald. We get ten more turns to play the game if we have this in play. Okay, Almost so soft certainly. lock. Soft lock. Cool. Kind of, sort of, not really. Yeah, I I, I don't actually know that that's something I want to do, but that is a lot of time that you get to stay alive, and I don't know. That that's intriguing to me, actually. There were, uh, was this historic or is like the, the bullshit, like mono white enchantments prison deck pillow fort. Yeah. 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 With like the nine lives and whatever. Yes. Yes. I lost to that in one of the arena PTQs when I was playing like green, white angels. And I was like, this deck is not that popular or that good, but I'm still just going to play like a shit ton of disenchants. I did. And I just still got smashed. Still couldn't get him. Yeah. After after I like disenchanted a bunch of stuff, you know, it's just like, oh yeah, their deck's all enchantments, so, and I kind of have to kill all of them, and I failed. So, yeah, th- hate I mean, that this... deck. Always gonna hate that deck. You were talking about pillow fort and stuff. I'm not about it, man. I'm not trying. To yeah, and life. and this is very fragile, so I I wouldn't worry about it. I just was curious how the interaction worked, and uh, it no, does. So it's good. All right, Rhea Evor, Bane of Bladehold, two dub B three four legendary creature Phyrexian Knight Battle Cry. Battle Cry. Wow. At the beginning of combat on your turn, the next time target creature would deal combat damage to one or more players. This combat prevent that damage. If damage is prevented this way, create that many one one. Colorless Phyrexian might artifact creature tokens with Toxic 1 and this creature can't block. Beginning of combat on your turn. That was a lot of words for me. Thank you for going back. Yeah. So you can bubble like their blocker, but then they just don't block. So you're not going to get the thing. So instead you're like bubbling one of your Your things things to to make them make mites instead of deal damage. I don't like it. I, I So I don't like this for constructed but it does create interesting incentives i think like once this is actually on the battlefield like think about it in a game of limited right yeah i don't know seems like kind of fun to me could be fun to play with yeah i like i like how the battle cry interacts with the bites for sure that's sort of cool and you get to like expand your battlefield very wide over multiple turns at the cost of the damage you would deal yeah, uh, it does have to be the players. So you you really are fighting against your like you have to be willing to sacrifice. If you want to make, say, five mites, you sacrifice five damage this turn. The theory is that on the next turn, you actually get 10 in return because of battle cry as well as the toxic abilities. So, yeah, uh, the, the, the payout is there, but that is slow, slow, very slow. I, I guess the upside is like this doesn't have to attack to go ahead and do this bubble effect. So if you have like a big creature that you play this you get the bubble immediately. Yeah, but kind of kind of like an army in a can sort of thing. Uh, yeah, a little bit. A very slow one, but 
Yeah. Yes. All right. Uh, Ovika Enigma Goliath. Five UR, six, six, legendary creature, Phyrexian Nightmare, flying, ward three, and pay three life. Big, big ward cost there. Okay. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, create X, one, one, red, Phyrexian Goblin creature tokens, where X is the mana value of that spell, they gain haste until end of turn. Uh, are, are they just one, one goblins with additional creature type? Actually, uh, yeah, I don't know either. I normally it would say, right? It says like the mites can't block, whatever. So I think yeah, these it are just seems one, like one vanillas. Yeah, vanillas. Yeah. That are vanillas. Okay, cool. Biggest of pyromancers. This strikes Oldest, me as a potentially wisest. Yeah. This strikes me as a potentially very good reanimation target. Actually. Uh, like if this comes down early, it's fucked up. Like it, yeah. it is really, really hard to play through because you have oh, to you're right. give up a bunch of life, a bunch of resources. And if you have even one untap with this and you turn it into four goblins and it eats your opponent's entire next turn, well, you've gotten very far ahead at that point. Um, yeah. You kind of have like built in edict protection, right? Yep. Yep. Because it's not, it's not hard to just like cast a cantrip or something after this. Think mm-hmm. about like caracasing this thing for three and three life if you're trying to reanimate on turn two or whatever yeah look i i wouldn't sleep on this card i wouldn't sleep on this card at all i think it is quite a fine reanimation target and and maybe there is just like a control deck where you can actually this is just how you win games yeah i could see that too this is interesting for for like actual like standard control i would expect like flash or can't be countered or whatever because you're just like raw tapping out for this. And then yep. we're, you know, we're still in a world where Hullbreaker Horror exists, yep. right? Hullbreaker Horror, probably a better version of this for standard. But if, if you're cheating it into play, I think the math changes very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, it was, I, I used to play Reanimator all the time in, in Legacy, right? And I, I loved that deck and I loved finding weird solutions to problems with like the things that you could reanimate. And whenever like a new creature was printed, it's like, I go through like the list of problems that I have or whatever, you know, it's like, does this actually do anything? Does this help solve a matchup or, or anything? And I think this, this would have gone a long way. Is this, uh, so I, I don't think it replaces anything like Archon, but in lower powered formats, is this just like a very, very good polymorph target? Maybe the problem with that sort of stuff is you're, you're like spending all of your mana to do the reanimate thing in a lot of instances and you don't have a lot left over to like, okay, then I'm going to trigger this and get some value. But I, like think about it in lower, in, like in, in lower power formats, say you do this on turn four, you indomitable creativity or whatever, whatever you're using to put out a Vika, your right, opponent, you, talk, you talking about like pioneer, pioneer. Or something? Yeah. Pioneer, basically pioneer historic, yeah. as much as anyone cares about historic. I could um, see that. I don't know if this, has more competition if there's like better competition there it, it just seems to me like you're you are talking about a six six so if you're doing this on turn four a targeted removal spell would have to cost one which is not going to exist and then when you untap with this your advantage just spirals so so quickly at that point you're dealing six damage on your flying attack on that turn you've added some number yeah. of creatures to the battlefield which are defensive by the way and i think that is a big part of the equation here if you're under threat you just get you know, four blockers out of nowhere in addition to whatever spell you've played in that instance. Uh, and and maybe most importantly, you just cast this card. Very reasonable card to cast. You know, you're playing your Fable of the Mirror Breaker and like 
getting up in resources, you just play Ovika and it's still any time before turn like six or seven. It just feels like you're so far ahead of what you're asking your opponent to actually be able to answer this card. Uh, so a few things come to mind. Uh, Pioneer specifically. I was thinking about the things that people tend to like reanimate or polymorph, you know, like Luca, whatever. It's like Agent mm-hmm. of Treachery, Titan of Industry. This thing definitely seems like it has potential higher upside. And then there were like the Luca Fires decks. There were just some teamer sort of polymorph things, but there's also Enigmatic Incarnation with like Leyline yeah. Binding. And like, I mean, that just goes right to seven, right? Yeah. Yeah. The problem yeah, is you need to play non-creature stuff and some of it works well with this like if you have like another binding uh to back it up or if you get to untap Mm -hmm. but yeah this doesn't seem that bad because there are definitely matchups and spots where like a titan or just an agent are not good enough right this is i wasn't expecting to be as excited as i am about this card but the more i like talk through its possibilities i think it's actually quite good yeah yeah it being at seven mana is is definitely not bad and also like this this thing can kill pretty quickly right so when you're talking about what seven do you want to reanimate or incarnation or whatever against like lotus field or dude those to- those tokens have haste too like you yeah. you lay line yeah, binding and this thing goes it's like you've you've presented 12 you have three life tied up in the ward as well it man the more i talk about this card the more i think this might be a real player yeah, not as like, oh, like definitely order your four copies now or whatever, but like Yeah, yeah. Just just a change like you know, you know how it is. We talked a lot about indomitable creativity having a long lifespan and never quite being there until it found the card it was supposed to put into play in modern, and then it became one of the best decks. Uh I can see this being the card that a bunch of archetypes are supposed to be playing and it really amping them up quite a bit. Yeah, no, this this could definitely generate more interest for incarnation for like Luca fires, planeswalkers sort of stuff. I could definitely see that. Cool card. All right. Glissa sun slayer one BG three, three legendary creature, Phyrexian zombie elf first strike death touch. Whenever this deals combat damage to a player, choose one. You draw a card and lose one life, destroy target enchantments, remove up to three counters from target permanence. Uh, three mana, three, three first strike death touch. I like drawing cards. Yeah. I like, and I like having the ability to kill enchantments. Next to impossible to block, but yeah, uh, I'm not, I'm not buying it quite yet. It's Dude, I fragile. like this better than the red green thing. I will say that. Okay. Okay. But yeah, th- th- third, three toughness versus four opens you up to a lot more removal, I think. But first strike death touch means that this is scarier in combat. Like this mm-hmm. is potentially going to help you way more defensively than just a four, four will. So, yeah, yeah, definitely good at holding the fort. I could see metagames where this is an impactful card, for sure. Maybe maybe worse colors, if that's the kind of thing that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Black-green, on occasion, can have like a gruel imitation in the format. Like We've, we've seen that before. Yeah. Creature stuff. Necrogen Ropperies, we want to talk about this? Uh, this feels like more of a limited card. A fine one, but... Uh, yeah, four mana, one five, toxic two, whatever. Okay, uncommon. So, all right, we got a very blurry planeswalker though. Yeah, Ivar at rare, one BG. Love that restoring loyalty. Uh, you may activate abilities of creatures you control as those as though those creatures had haste. Okay, uh, plus one untap up to one target creature. Okay, minus two mill three cards. Then you may return a creature card with mana value two or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. My man, I'm in. 
This is this is kind of messed up. Like you think about I'm it in. with something like Devoted Druid, where it actually like rebuys the Devoted Druid as well. You get to use it immediately. Like, yeah, just I, give me my my mana elves back, and yeah. they all have haste. And I'm sure that there are like other cool things to you know tap creatures to do stuff. Yeah, particularly Druid combo. I I think there is some possibility that this card is just like very real, very impactful for that archetype. But there's there's so many cards that you could think of where like you just get to immediately use the activated ability twice yes there's just some very powerful activated abilities out there it's very stupid that one of the first things i thought about was arcanus the omnipotent obviously we're not doing that but having previously cast an arcanus in my day (laughs) the idea of like drawing six off of tyvar was very very exciting to me but there's going to be something along those lines where just like the amount of value that Tyvar is offering you is tremendous. And it's got a built-in combo home already in my eyes. So this seems like another banger for sure. Multiple formats, I think. What's the X and Phyrexian black card that's like reanimated against haste, exile in a turn? I, uh, I should know post, the name of this card. Postmortem lunch. Yeah, I, I should know the name of this because I, like, I, I knew that card existed and I put it in like way more decks. And I think... Basically, whenever I posted a deck, people were like, what the hell is this card? Yeah. Or whatever. And then people started actually playing it in Devoted Druid. Yeah. And uh, this this just does like all of that while also being good. Yeah. While being a Planeswalker. This this card is sick for sure. I think it could single-handedly re-energize that archetype. And again, I have, I have not really read these cards, right? So I was like, ooh, three mana. And then it was like the static ability. I'm like, mm, okay. And then we got to like, milling myself and like unearthing things i'm just like hell yeah i'm in and i was just trying to do like value stuff you're like devoted to it i'm like yeah okay fine fine i'll just win the game instead yeah i mean i won't it just means that i won't play it because my value deck is probably worse than your combo deck right but whatever i still i like the card you know this is uh like a canadian highlander like banger for me Mm, nice you know what i mean no, I think, but, I think I'm, this is the last but I'm happy. One. I'm happy you like it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, last one, I think. Is this it? Yes, this is it. Zuri, Stalker of Spheres, two GU three three legendary creature, Phyrexian Elf Warrior. When this enters the battlefield, you may pay three. If you do, proliferate twice. Whenever you proliferate, draw a card. Hmm. Pain, pain three is a lot. It is. Simic colors. Those are those are the colors yeah. of of ramping. And proliferating I mean, maybe, twice in those colors, getting two cards. So you you listen. Maybe your seven Sultai, mana Muldrif, Muldrifter. Yeah, maybe your Sultai. You have Tyvar and a bunch of mana creatures, right? Okay. Yeah. Just getting to seven seems easy, right? But also, whenever you pro- proliferate, draw cards. Like you don't need Azuri to only be the Muldrifter, right? It can also just be the thing that is sitting in play, being yeah, the, the value engine, yeah. Uh, yeah, then, have, have to know more about the surrounding pieces here, but like I, I think this has potential. It seems like the output is there. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's not bad. Uh, and then we also talked about Venser, which is another like, oh, you're proliferating. I guess this will just like chill and play and maybe pay you. So that's not that bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, Tyvar, the the mana output on Tyvar seems pretty damn good, right? Yeah. Uh, it is, and it. It is going to feed stuff like Azuri, maybe not Azuri specifically, but things like it, where it's like, yeah, you can just jump to seven pretty quickly. Uh, and yeah, uh, Tyvar, not to go back to that card and talk about it a bunch, but it's like your your creatures are going to be making mana the turn you play them. So 
you're not going to be tied up like, oh, I have to spend my turn like casting these mana elves. Like you're going to be able to like go like elf elf or like elf something else. And then with the untappy thing, you're just going to get to a bunch of mana pretty quickly, right? So you're looking at Titan of Industry or stuff like Azuri to do. Dude, when this has a bunch of one... Uh, I'm sorry, I am going back to Tyvar at this point. When, when yep. this has a bunch of one-drop creatures, you just dump your entire hand. Like like actual legacy elves playing this card could oh, benefit yeah, okay. quite okay. a bit from this. Oh, uh, you may activate abilities of creatures you control as though... Those you just chain. Yeah, well, does... With, like, Llanor elves, you chain, right? Yeah. Yeah. But how much does it help the other aspects of the deck, right? Because a lot of that stuff basically had haste built in anyway. Dude, rebuying your Elvish Visionary? Rebuying how? With the minus two? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, dude, that's fine. I, I think that that aspect is good, too, because it's like, oh, they broke up my symbiote combo, or they killed my only heritage druid, or whatever. Like, it's definitely good. Um, Un untapping your Elvish Arc Druid, which is like, we're probably talking more modern than Legacy at right. this point. Yeah, that, but that's, like that's what I was getting at, where it's like, it chains with Llanowar Elves in Legacy, and I think that this is probably fine in Legacy as a thing that like helps you grind or whatever. But for for the most part, I think you are getting more help in modern or pioneer, you know, smaller formats. I will say, like, I know we don't have glimpse in modern, obviously, thank God. But I, with the efficiency of this card, I think you can start to look at some of the more expensive glimpse effects and maybe get maybe. back to full. Actually, draw my deck elf combo. Yeah, some some right of harmonies, some Beck calls. Mm -hmm. Like you got plenty mm -hmm. of options. Yeah, yeah, right of harmony very much uh, would be on my radar given the printing of this planeswalker. You play this on two, so one mana elf. Play this on two. Untap your elf. Play an elf. <laughs> like yeah, that's what I'm saying, man. Like you're just you're off stuff. to the races with this. Yeah, card. Like, it, it just accelerates you so much. Shit, man. This this set is we all literally only looked at the gold cards, I might be more excited for a set than I have been in a very long time with the stuff we just talked through. Yeah. And I, I think scars kind of ruined me where anything that has like toxic or oil counters, I'm just like, ugh, like stupid green, black crap that I'm not interested in. But then there's stuff like Vencer Azuri where it's like, okay, you know, this is more in the space of the things that I like. Mm-hmm. Right. But like, yeah, and the toxic oil stuff is like not even the same thing as the other. No, stuff. but I'm no, just like colored different. by how much I dislike that. And I like I liked scars a lot, but I just drafted like Jeskai stuff. Yeah, I was, I was going to say you literally won a scars limited GP. It seems like it should be one that you're a I fan did. of. I did. Do you know, like my thing with that or whatever? Like why? Why I like that tournament so much? Because uh, you want it would be my guess. Yeah, I've, I've won plenty of things where I'm just like, ah, that, that didn't like feel good or whatever. So there's a lot of story that could go into this, but like the, the one part that I'm going to focus on is for, you know, they sit you down for top eight, right? And they give you like a profile to fill out. Mm -hmm. And one of the questions was, what card do you hope to open? And my answer was Oxidus Scrap Melter because yep. I'll get past Volition Reigns. Okay. Which is just like a weird answer, you know? Yeah. And in, in pack three, I opened Scrap Melter and got six pick Volition Reigns. And then like top eight, used the Reigns to take like Juza's Worm Coil Engine. Perfect. Yeah. You know, it like, it's just one of those events where you know your shit so hard and things line up, right? Obviously things have to line up. But the fact that like I answered 
my question, like a pretty straightforward question with like some weird ass answer that then comes true. And it's just like, man, like I was, I was just super on top of shit. Yeah. I uh, know that is a level of format understanding that, uh, you know, it, it's very hard to, to get to. And it, it was also drafting these blue decks with like Vidalkin Surtex, which needed Metalcraft. And I think that initially people were pretty excited about Metalcraft, but mm-hmm. quickly realized that it's not affinity and it's like kind of hard to get Metalcraft because yeah, it's not a very bunch of artifact lands. Also very good artifact. You mentioned Oxidia Scrap Melter. There's a lot yeah. of ways to challenge artifact count. But I, I figured out how to get around that. And I drafted my deck like in top eight for sure, but just like a lot of my decks had really bad artifacts because a lot of the times when you got your metalcraft cards online, it didn't matter that you were down like a piece of cardboard or two. And also you could just play fewer lands. Uh, even though you didn't have like affinity stuff directly, you still got to play a bunch of mirrors and the metalcraft reward cards were pretty cheap. Mm-hmm. So it was just like, yeah, don't take the seven mana bomb because you're never going to play it. Right. And then at that point, if you draw three lands, your opponent draws five lands, uh, and you know your two cards are just like crappy artifacts or whatever. Like you're you're ahead in that. Yeah, you function. Right? Yep. So golden urn was in my deck, which is just this artifact that like gains counter gain life for right? to gain life. Yeah. yeah. And that card was actually awesome. It wasn't like oh, it's so bad. It's just a one man artifact with no text. It was like I'm gonna get beat down until I kind of get like my. Uh, engine assembled and then this extra 10 life that I get off this card is actually beneficial and helpful towards me winning the game. Mm. Uh, so yeah, golden urn is like one of my favorite cards because of that tournament and those decks and, and everything. So just like that, that event specifically is like pretty special to me. Having this conversation and just like the more I think about the state of competitive magic and where things are at, I become more and more convinced that there is actually supposed to be a competitive limited circuit. And that is the thing that is worthwhile can actually make this entire endeavor money, like be profitable as a standalone tournament play experience and just really serve a portion of your player base that you've completely ignored for such a long time because limited on arena is extremely popular. So you bring a limited circuit from town to town, you get those arena players to go play in person and you're selling a ton of product and it emphasizes the need for draft packs, like people are going to go back into stores and start drafting again. And man, I, I just think there's such a really, really strong and not even a strong, like just boomer. I want this case, but an actual business case that you could sell a limited play circuit. And I, I I'm telling you, I would be, I would be back in the tournament halls immediately. If that was a thing, I would be so excited to see that. So, I mean, the one tournament we played last year was team limited. Team limited. Of course. One is hell. Yeah. But I'm, I'm going to push back on that a little bit. I think that you need to make limited for the average player not feel like a chore. You have to convince them that it is fun and exciting. And I think a lot of those problems stemmed from lack of shared experience, right? Because like mm-hmm. if you're the only one drafting, I get to share my GP Nashville experience with you and you get it because you were you were there, like mm-hmm. not in the tournament. But No, I, I was I was at that tournament. Okay, well, you were you were around, which is the the more important part of the picture, you know. Like, yep. you get the things that I'm saying to you. But if I if I try to talk to someone about 
I don't know, like Streets Limited, like the team thing that we played in. It's like I then have to like recite the card text on all of the cards to get them to understand my point or whatever. And it's like we can't have that conversation if you don't know what the hell I'm talking about. And the reason that they don't know what like Body Dropper does is because they didn't give a shit. They had no reason to. Chicken or the egg, man. Uh, I I know. I'm saying like you you have to like build that first. I think some amount of that comes with how you construct the sets. And I think that they've maybe intentionally or unintentionally, I don't know, been doing a better job of that. I think like the last two years for sure, like the sets for limited are pretty exciting. They are. You get to do like fun, powerful, cool things. And there just hasn't been a reason for like people to, you know, know that really yeah. like yeah there there are the people who are plugged in on arena who are playing and you're talking about like going town to town and like getting them to show up but it's, dude it's like one person every town you know it's not a lot you gotta get I, like a i don't body. i don't know if that's true i don't know if that's true as far as arena goes honestly like uh, i've was always told that the numbers on arena limited were carrying that platform that platform makes a lot of money i i'm not sure i'm not sure i agree with that and i, I don't have hard information about, to refute you yeah but you're talking about getting those players like back into stores or whatever. If, if there was a high enough concentration of people who played magic and liked limited, you would think they would be going to their stores already. And obviously I I think uh, they need to know that the stores are holding limited tournaments, et cetera, like chicken or egg. Right. Yep. Yep. I, I, I get all that, but yes, you need to start somewhere and actually decide that this is a focus. Like you need to create buy in for this. Like you want people to be invested in this. I and think I the think starting point is, is the big event. It's like, it's, it's not, you don't start from the stores and then go the other way. It's that once you hold these big events that matter, that feel big, that are important from town to town, then I think you start seeing people back in the stores. Yeah, that's entirely possible because then they're like, oh, well, I want to practice for this thing. I'll get on arena. And then it's like, oh, now my store heard about this event and they're holding stuff. So like, I'll go there. Oh, I met this other person who's kind of like in the same boat as me or whatever. Like, this is awesome. You know, I, I think that that is how, it, yeah, you're probably right. That is how it all gets started. And that is the best place to start. But if you were just like right now, let's do it. Like everyone is here. They're ready. It's like, nah, I, I don't like you need to build it. No, it takes first, work. All this stuff doable. takes work. Yeah. 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 You have to care about it. And I, I do care a lot about limited play. I mean, maybe I'm just in a limited mindset. I'm down here in New Zealand working on our uh, limited formats, which we keep getting better and better and getting to the place where I, I hope we can start to fill some of that gap that's being left. But, you know, there's a reason magic is, the greatest game of all time. I, I, I would be there. I would be supporting, I guess, a competitor if there was a good, a good circuit to play some limited magic. And in a lot of ways, like we're chasing the very high bar they set with their best ever limited formats. Like we want to have an experience that's as good as the best magic formats. And I'm, I'm not delusional. We're not there yet, but like, it's something we're working towards really hard, but there you have the OG just being like, ah, fuck it. We're not going to bother with this. And it's frustrating. Yeah, no, I, I totally feel you. Uh, dude, I'm I'm kind of like passively glancing over some of these other cards that we haven't talked about. <laughs> some bangers? <laughs> I don't know. One of them is just juggernauts you control attack each combat if able. There's a lot of other stuff going on, but... Uh, Love it. Just, yeah, some of the text is just funny as hell. So, Love the juggernaut call. Uh, next week is going to be good. Maybe the week after, too, depending on how far we can stretch this. But I think that this was a good first little glimpse into things, man. I like this a lot. Me too. Me too. Very excited. Very promising set. And, you know, I'll, I'll say it again. I feel like I say this every single time we come to these sets, gripe and complain a lot about magic. 
the magic cards are still really interesting, really good. Uh, I know, they're, man. They're that's doing a nice job here. over there. Yep. That's that's why we gripe so much because they're doing a really nice job creating them. Uh, so, well, not just that. It's just like if if I suddenly did not like magic, I wouldn't I wouldn't be doing this shit. Yep. You know Absolutely. what I mean? Like, Absolutely. For for our New Year's show, I talked about how you know, like I haven't I haven't found a, a job. But it's just like it's not something I'm passionate about. I'm still passionate about this. And I hope that that comes through. Like I'm genuinely excited for these cards and like want to, you know, build decks and experiment and like play games and stuff like that has not left me. It's just like everything else just kind of blows. Yep. 100%. I agree entirely. And the podcast will either shut down or I'm just going to hand it over to you when I suddenly don't like the cards anymore. No, nah, I'm, I'm going to hand it back to you, Gerald. Uh, like a huge percentage of my appearance here is just because I like you. So you you hand it to me. You're getting it right back. Well, whatever. You know, maybe I'll I'll hand it. I'll find two other people who care. Then, yeah. You know, yeah. but uh, I I don't foresee that happening. No, because me neither. I, I still do give a shit. Yeah, especially a show like this, which just like I I think you can feel our genuine excitement for these cards. Yeah. So. Hopefully the other stuff comes around. We'll see. But I just assume that this is going to keep happening. Like the sets are going to be cool. That We're not going to be able to figure out like what's real and what's fake and like why all these cards have fingernails on them or whatever. But like, I, I guess that's just what we have to deal with now. And that's fine. We can, we can handle that. As long as people start getting some manicures. That's all I ask. Like if we're going to do fingernail picks, let's just all take a little bit better care of our our nail health. And I think it'll Listen, be beneficial I, for everyone I involved. I didn't think that I was going to wake up today and read, you know, Phyrexian elephant wizard or whatever. And I don't think that they necessarily woke up and knew that they were going to have to take a bunch of pictures with their fingernails. Fair enough. Fair you enough. Know? Yep. Life, life is just a mystery. It man. comes at you fast. It really does. It does. It does. And I, I certainly don't want, you know, if it was like my fingernails or whatever, I wouldn't want to listen in, have someone like berating my fingernails. Like, dude, I didn't know. I didn't know my fingernails were supposed to look good today, you know? All right. I'm, I'm sorry, fingernail person. Hopefully, we don't know who this person is. I would actually feel legitimately bad if, like, we knew whose fingernails these were. Yeah, it's like so one I'm, of our mods or something. Yeah, it's yeah. like, ah. I'm just, like, doing it as a bit. I really don't care about your fingernails. They're fine. Um, yeah, but. I, I, I don't either. But, like, I also, you know, if we're going to do a bit, it shouldn't be, like, berating someone or whatever. Sure. Yeah. Fair enough. Sorry, sorry, fingernails. I'm still, I, I, I'm genuinely confused. Like, I don't know why their ha- their fingers had to be in the pictures. You know, I kind of just want to know the reason because if I, I think I'm, I used to think I was like born a decade too early or a decade too late. But either way, I exist in a decade where if I want to know something, I can just Google it, and I do a lot. Mm-hmm. Right. Same. But it's like. This is one of those scenarios where it's like, I want to know what the scenario was where your finger had to be in all these pictures. And I, I'm just not going to have that answer. No, you know true I mean? mystery. And that bugs me. Yeah, true mystery. So most things, if I want to know the answer, I figure it out. And I guess to some extent, that is what keeps driving me in magic, where it's like, if I, I want to figure out like, oh, if I sideboard this way, will it change the matchup or whatever you know like and those things i have to like work to figure out on my own that's what i have to do but like this is a thing where it's, it's completely out of my control i'll probably never know the answer to this and it's it's frustrating you know i just i don't get it sorry sorry to bring this into your life on this no it's all right i'm just day. dude i'm just confused i'm just confused we oh. all are game
Good luck. <laughs>